Hi, and welcome to The Amber Show. I'm Amber Urquhart of the Willow community, and every two weeks we talk about the latest in tech and crypto. Live from Taipei, we sit down with serious hitters in the startup community. Let's go. The following is brought to you by xtingles.com. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling bored, when you're feeling tired, but you just can't get to sleep, X-Tingles and our ASMR are going to be there for you. As of today, one in four Americans suffer from insomnia and they need solutions. Because stress, which has become more and more common because of smartphones, urbanization, and work from home, are a major factor. What all of this means is that at X-Tingles, we can make an even greater impact on the world. This is how we see X-Tingles. It's the crossroads of NFT world and the mental health world. Here, you'll be able to find everything you need to sleep and live well, all while tapping into cutting-edge NFT technology. Learn more about it on xtingles.com. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to The Amber Show. And today we have two special guests. We have Clara Tell, who's the founding director of the Filecoin Foundation. And we have Andrew Fay with us, who's the founder of DStation. So I'm going to hand it over to these lovely guests to start with an introduction of themselves, starting with Clara. Thank you so much, Amber, for having me on this show. Um, it's such an honor to be here. I know you've interviewed such incredible people before, so very excited uh, to be here and to be in Taipei. Um, this is my first, po first podcast in Taipei. So. Well, we've actually caught you like um, a day before you're taking off, so also very great timing, and thanks for putting in the time to, to visit us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share a little bit about my background. Uh, for me, I had grown up in Silicon Valley right outside of it. Um, and I had always felt like I wanted to solve inequality in this world. And so for me, um, the promise of um, the way technology can be that enabler was so interesting. The way that the internet was created and the way that it was built to be decentralized um, gives people access to information like never before. I, I remember when... Um, when courses were online for the first time and there were girls in Mongolia who got accepted to MIT because they were able to learn, you know, classwork remotely. And so for me, uh, the internet has always been this enabler of information, but over the years, there's been a lot of data monopolies of large companies that have come, in, come into the picture, taken over. And so my whole life, I've been trying to build inequalities in communities online. Um, I think it's, there's a lot of people trying to solve inequalities in the offline world, but for me, my, my big mission is how do we make sure that when we think about our online community, we can, we can fix some of the hardest problems there. And so um, I've worked in many different hats throughout my career. I was the CTO of two teams at Department of Homeland Security, focused on foreign influence operations and homegrown extremism. So I worked with a lot of people that were spreading really terrible content online. Uh, I have worked in the technology policy space. So in 2013, I was one of the first people to teach members of Congress what the blockchain was and really try to explain things in layman terms. Um, I worked um, as a fellow at Mozilla for a bit of time, really looking at Web 2.0 and some of the um, issues there and, you know, the issues like privacy that the company is, is so well known for. And I also started the first professional association in trust and safety for professionals that determine acceptable behavior and content online. I, I founded uh, the first association and foundation. So that was what I was doing before Filecoin. And when I first heard about the project, it was like 
everything had just come together uh, in a way that made so much sense for me. You saw more and more user-generated content moving to the centralized web. You saw a lot of the promise of the web being able to uh, allow for people to access things that weren't there before. Um, one of my my big um, my biggest um, issues that I that got me into into the content moderation space was working in Myanmar back in 2014, where users were going online for the first time by their phones. And the way people saw the internet was their mobile phone, um, was, was email and Facebook. And there was complete lack of moderation that was happening there. And so you had like an ethnic genocide, you had government intervention, we're still seeing the repercussions of Myanmar today um, in recent news, if anyone has followed there. And the government actually decided to play a key role in, in actually censoring a lot of content that gets the people there. And so for me, um, Filecoin is like this incredible project where it creates an incentive layer for decentralized file storage and decentralized web. Um, that foundational layer is so important. So that's a, I know that was a long introduction. But I, but I wanted to cut in and ask you why, like, what brought you to Miramar to do to begin with? Like, what were your what had brought you there? Oh, so I was working with Microsoft at the time. So I, I was at Microsoft for several years, and I um, we had been working on election integrity there. The, Myanmar, you know, also known as Burma to some people, was under military dictatorship for so long, and I was working with everywhere from like local prisoners to those that. Um, uh, those that were in the military. And the first time in 2014, 2015 was the democratic election that they could actually have. Uh, that wasn't a dictatorship. And it was so important for digital literacy and, you know, online propaganda to, to be uh, seen as um, something that was equitable for everyone. Um, and I remember, you know, in the aftermath of Myanmar and what had happened there with everything bad, um, predicting the U.S. election in 2016, I, I remember saying, like, something like election integrity will never be an issue until it hits a Western democracy like most issues. It becomes invisible to the rest of the world until you see it hit you know, the Western world. And in 2016, we saw a lot of that. You saw a lot of information um, hubs of just content that were seen by a bunch of people that believe like that worldview represented a much bigger worldview of the U.S. population. And there was a lot of interference by, you know, Russian bots, by many other actors trying to manipulate the outcome of elections. So that's really where you see like the promise of the online community really having drastic effects in the offline world. Sorry, that was a long introduction, but that is my why, is I truly believe in the promise of the decentralized web. And I think Filecoin is one of the best projects out there that really um, has a lot of legs in enabling a community of developers, um, activists, open source, um, you know, the open source community to really get involved and build a better web, um, starting with file storage. I, I think you've... Um sort of answered every single question on my list. No, just kidding. But uh, maybe we can just start, before we get to Andy, to deep dive in more into, you know, you, you, you saw your um, connection to the decentralized web, but how about for not only the people in Miramar, but what does it mean to, to us and, and to the future? Yeah, I think today for everyday users, there is very limited control. People don't think about supply chain when they're using online tools, and 30% of the data is is only allowable on AWS, for example, and startups really don't have a choice. They're using AWS for everything. Um, we saw a wake-up moment on January 6th with, with Parler being removed by, by AWS, that the power of where cloud um, computing companies play a role in moderation. And I think um, there's a really, really interesting question right now 
a lot of large companies are facing where they're actually trying to be more distributed or trying, they know that antitrust regulation is coming right around the corner. And I think there's also users who don't want their data being sold without their permission. And so we're giving that alternative. Um, Filecoin right now, it, it's it's still early, but um, we're giving that alternative to people who, who don't want to, um, who want an alternative to, to cloud, um, to cloud storage. And there's been a lot of really amazing use cases that we were starting to see, and we're hoping we can accelerate accelerate things moving forward through the foundation. So, interesting. Um, what about you, Andrew? Can you um, explain a bit on what you're doing and what you're doing in, in the space right now and with DStation? Hey, Amber, nice meeting you here, and hey, Clara, great catching up with you. Um, so, most people know me for doing Asia Blockchain Summit. So, we've been doing it for three years, and we're mostly well known for having the um, Tango in Taipei, which is a Noel Rebini and Arthur Hayes having a really intense debate and also a crazy party I followed after at AI Nightclub. I'm sure some, some of you guys know. And last year, we did a um, Asia Launch Summit in a virtual setting, and it was the first time in my life kind of going in, going in to design a product and launching an event at the same time. It was a really roller coaster of emotions, but um, kind of... Due to the consequences and I'd say uh, the uh, the event of COVID, and uh, it could really push us, uh, stretch us a little bit more. But uh, the highlight of that event was we had Chris Hatfield and we gave him Bitcoin over on satellite thanks to Blockstream Sense and Mount. It was really cool. We did on Zoom. Canadian's favorite astronaut. Canadian's favorite astronaut, Chris Hatfield. Really, really great guy. You know? And uh, just a little bit more on kind of. Um, Current empty space, so we're kind of at it right now. It's it's really blowing up with 60 million, 69 million uh, sales of Christie's and Beeple and uh, South Bees joining in with uh, Pack and uh, all sorts of really major mainstream attention. A lot of celebrities coming in. I finally feel like crypto, blockchain as a whole, is really reaching massive adoption. And I'm really grateful that it has reached this turning point right now. Um, Today, as we speak right now, we are looking at about $60,000 in Bitcoin and uh, almost 2400 in Ethereum. So that just says how much we've crossed since then. And uh, on top of that, a um, little bit about DStation. Um, so we're, we're trying to build the internet of NFTs and trying to connect NFTs across all different chains. Think of it as kind of... Um, NFTs as uh, IP and uh, DStation as TCP. So we're trying to build that TCP IP system, in which uh, NFTs across all different chains can connect one another. And so um, it kind of opens up a lot of possibilities going forward. But um, currently we're still in stealth, so I can't share a little too much about what we do. But however, we today's spotlight audience and uh, spotlight guest speaker, excuse me, is Clara. So we'd love to have Clara kind of uh, fire it up with Filecoin and what's up with Filecoin. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for, for being here and thanks for, you know, sharing a bit. I know everyone in Taiwan knows knows who you are, but um, for other audience, uh, other guests, thanks for your intro. So I'm thinking, Clara, let's go back to um, what you were saying on um, AWS. So as, you know, another option, uh, what are some of the use cases or kind of apps um, should be built or what are your other plans for the future in this in this aspect? Yeah, and so um, the best way I love to tell the Filecoin story is actually one of my favorite places growing up was in public libraries. I grew up with um, a single mom, and so I spent a lot of time in my childhood just 
being left at libraries. And I just love reading books. And I think libraries are so special public places where you can access information anywhere. Um, so one of the things that we, we're trying to do is um, we're, we're really trying to figure out, like, if we can build a better library in the online space, what is that important information that the public should all have access to? And one of the projects that we... Um, we're supporting is called the Starling Project, and it really looks at human rights information that sometimes, you know, certain autocracies, governments try to hide from everyday people. And so we try to document everything from, like, the, the you know, content from Holocaust survivors that will disappear one day into the online world. Um, we're looking at, um, there's a lot of use cases around, um, you know, today data storage is very expensive. Not everyone can afford it. And so um, we, we, we do a lot of work through Starling to enable those kind of cases and to preserve, you know, um, preserve humanity's most important information. We have a lot of partnerships are doing even at the hardware level to allow for capture of really great human rights cases um, ex directly to the cloud. So I'm just wondering, so this is like the, the foundation's work on what, on like kind of Project Sterling is a project that they're involved with. So in the news, there was like, uh, you know, the announcement of um, Falcoin Fal um, Foundation from the 10 million um, uh, in donations. Is that from the project to the foundation towards Sterling or how does that work? Yeah. Oh, Starling is one project that we're supporting. Um, last week or two weeks ago, we also had a separate donation that we gave to Internet Archive, which is an incredible nonprofit in San Francisco. Um, they actually are just, you know, think of them as a library system for the web. And they try to capture um, web pages you can find from like the 1990s. You know, they have everything dated back. They also have an incredible program for digitizing um, online books and allowing anyone to access it. And so, um, we gave a $10 million donation to Internet Archive. It was the largest donation I think they've ever received. And it was just such a great cause because um, for, for us, you know, we, we truly believe that there are so many great organizations that are working to, like, someone needs to take responsibility online space to capture all the incredible information. There's a lot of people that have talked about, you know, a role we could play in preserving Yahoo Answers that's going to die soon. So there's a lot of, you know, to be determined preview, if you're listening to this podcast, that we might announce soon uh, of cool things that we can work on through our network. And I think all of that is um, really core to our mission. We care about enabling an alternative to data storage. But we also, our whole team is very civic focused. We really do believe that the internet is a community that everyone should share and have civic participation in. And so um, if we can support projects that allow for equal access to all types of important information, um, we're the first to table. But are there other sort of... Um Supporters, whether it be monetary, that go into these foundation funds, or is it directly from the from Falcoin Project, or where are the funds? Oh yeah, so happy give give everyone a background on the foundation. Um, the Falcoin Foundation, I started it with my co-founder Megan around a year, almost a year ago, and the Falcoin Project has been around since 2017, started by Protocol Labs, and we had our mainnet launch last fall. Um, but we have been building the foundation. It's an independent entity separate from Protocol Labs, really serving the community of stakeholders that are involved in Filecoin, from miners to clients to um, other other folks, you know, token holders, you can imagine. And we really want to enable the Filecoin system to be successful. Um, so we are funded by 100 million Filecoin. Um, that's, that's, yeah, so we have um, a lot of, 
uh, opportunity to fund incredible efforts. And it's been really great thinking backwards of what creates an online economy to allow for distributed file storage, the kinds of partners that we could fund that we'll see success, you know, several years out that may not be like overnight. And then we also fund a lot of really fun projects and use cases. So one of our grants um, that we've announced this quarter is building an alternative to like, if you wanted to um, have an alternative to store your data, um, not on Facebook, you know, there's, there's an integration that we're, we're funding as a grant project. So there's a lot of really, really cool things that will fund for fun. And then there's really important things from a technical standpoint, more boring to talk about, um, really to enable us to have the right developer tools, the right resources for for the ecosystem. To, are there to are there any other ways that you're you're using for to kind of build this ecosystem towards adoption besides these projects? Are there any other initiatives? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have many. I can talk about initiatives for hours, um, but um, we only have so much time on this podcast. Uh, so um, we have a lot like in the we, we have two branches of the Filecoin Foundation. We have Filecoin Foundation and Filecoin Foundation for the distributed web. Um, the distributed website is all charitable. And so you can imagine um, where people would need in, strong data storage and where it would be very expensive, like computational um, bi biology data, for example, sometimes like biotech research takes a lot of computing power to store that data. So for us to be able to enable people to have a place where they can store um, is such a gift to the world, to the online community. I think for um, for our, our C-Corp side, which runs really like an engineering company, like any engineering company, we're trying to build the best-in-class tools. We're trying to recruit the best developers. Um, and we're trying to enable as much adoption. So there's a lot of partnerships we're working with. We have a really great board of advisors, including Joe Lubin from Consensus and a few others. And so there's been a lot of really great um, partnerships that we're exploring um, that will be announced soon. We've been very quiet on our marketing because we've been heads down building. Yeah, I feel like we're very in the early um, stages getting to sit down with you, which makes it super exciting. Um, how did it work with like getting involved with Joe Lubin? I feel like, you know, having access to Ethereum and that huge ecosystem is really going to bring in a lot of players. So can you exp expand on that? Yeah, I mean, it, we have Joe, we have a lot of other really incredible board members. We have like folks who are uh, very senior executives at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, so we have folks involved at the World Economic Forum who are on our advisor list, Sheila Warren. Um, so we have a ton of, of incredible advice every single day. I, we have advisor meeting. I'm always like overwhelmed with excitement. Um, Brewster, who started Internet Archive, is also on our board of advisors. So um, it's just been nice to be able to like have access to really incredible um, people and to rift ideas off of them at arm's length. Um, I, I think for us, we, we we feel like, you know, these folks agree to, to be our advisors because they also equivalently believe in the work that we're doing. And so I I think there's a lot of um, a lot of other things we can do moving forward. But yeah, I, I think everyone kind of stood up and, and got involved because they care. They care about what we're doing. So I, I love how I love your um, your use cases. I love your vision. I think it's like super important for the future. So let's talk more on this and let me just like throw it out there. How how do you feel blockchain is going to impact the world? Like you have all of these major key players in like um, working towards it, working in the industry. How what's your like like high level thoughts? Yeah, I, if you were to ask me about blockchain seven years ago, I would have been like, this is like, 
you know, a VC trend that everyone says, I use blockchain for X, and there's a lot of use cases that really don't make sense. I usually start by saying I'm actually a crypto critic and cynic. Um, I really do think that there are some crypto projects that are very sketchy. Um, and so um, for me, Ethereum and projects like Filecoin are really great because there's a really strong use case of why the currency exists that go beyond just the market forces at play. And I, I think if you look behind the HUD, you'll see like for Filecoin's um, engineering team, we have like some of the smartest people that have left top companies that choose to build, you know, the best in security tools. Um, I spent a lot of time um, in my past few years working in the cybersecurity space. And, you know, there's a lot of people that truly, truly like Juan is, um, Juan from Protocol Labs, he is a true believer in the promise of cryptography in better security and, and more access service. So I think from that angle, for me, um, I think blockchain has a lot of capability that people are still waking up to. It's hard to explain things because blockchain does take time to build. A lot of companies take years in the making to get to where they are today, to get to enterprise adoption of where like Ethereum and Ethereum Foundation consensus are. And so I think we'll see more of that. Um, and, and, and from that angle, I'm a huge believer in blockchain. I do think um, there, there is m more security uh, than ever before. There's so many incredible use cases, but I'm also skeptical of like when it's overblown for use cases that shouldn't exist. Um, so, you know, there's some people who are like, I just want to, I used to get pitched by a lot of companies and they would just throw in blockchain as a buzzword um, because they felt like it was a trend that would get them through the door and I would evaluate their um, their use of blockchain and it would be very minimal. And and so I think in those cases, I'm, I'm still a skeptic for, for certain cases, but I do think that um, from a security perspective, like there is no more secure storage for data in the case of Filecoin than um, than the work that we're doing and the work of our competitors. You know, I think there's there's other competitors trying to do this as well. Um, and then I think there's also um, so much opportunity for more beyond that. File storage is just the first layer. You can build websites, can build like apps, you can build very complicated things on top of it, uh, on top of, um, you know, just to read files. And we're just starting to hit the, the ground going right now. So I kind of feel like there's a lot of room as you guys grow for, you know, new projects and new builders and stuff like that. So how can people get involved that are aligned with this vision or how do you, how do they approach you or the foundation? Yeah, we're really transparent. Like our meetings are recorded on GitHub, so you can see like mm. all of our meetings. We're incredibly transparent. I think our DNA has been the open source community. Um, Brian Baldorf is on our board, and he started the Apache Foundation, and he was he's been like a pioneer. He runs the Hyperledger project at Linux right now, and so we just have a lot of really really smart people um, involved in helping us think about our roadmap. Um, but yeah, I I, I think it's um, I, I just think like I think. Everyone else will, will, I love to solve problems a few years in advance. And I think like over time, as more, um, more customer facing use cases come about, you, you'll see a lot more um, use of it in everyday life. Right now, there's like a more niche audience that really cares about privacy that are kind of the first adopters to using Filecoin. But um, uh, yeah, I'm wondering, like you have, you always have the first adopters first who are more, you know, worried about their own um, personal rights and, and data. So I'm wondering how can individuals be more conscious of this and what do you, what kind of advice do you have for people? Yeah. Um, so around your, your thinking about getting involved, we do a lot, we, we sponsor hackathons. We we're looking at hosting our, a lot of more events post COVID. Um, if we're not here in Taiwan, we can do some stuff in Taiwan in person. 
if you guys want to collaborate. I just mean like, how can individuals be feel more safe or be more conscious with what they're putting out there on the internet? And oh, um, I think I think in terms of privacy, I think people need to know that alternatives exist. You know, a lot of people today touch the web and they're completely unconscious of the monopolies that exist. Like when they give their data to Facebook. They're, when they give their data to WhatsApp, you know, everything's integrated. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of um, literacy that needs to happen with people understanding how technology products work. This is especially true in my time working with policymakers where there were just so many gaps of how products are built. And so um, a lot of assumptions are made that may or may not be actually true from reality. But I think second is also just making sure that you're conscious, like, the way that you would hold on to your physical wallet. You're thinking about that same kind of information in the online space, um, making sure you're secure, you're using two-factor, you know, like, I think today, I remember one, like, a few years ago, I was in Belize traveling, and my computer died. And I spent so much money trying to recover my hard disk because I was like, I don't want my data, my photos, everything to go missing, right? And people today are kind of valuing, they're putting a price tag on their data and their privacy and what rests behind it. I wouldn't say this was true like 20 years ago. And so I think as people have more critical information, they have passwords, everything's moving online, you're going to see a huge threshold of people thinking about putting data online, but they also have to think about privacy and really like vetting the same kind of privacy layer they're thinking about in the offline world, the way you would store your passport in a vault, right? Think exactly, because I think like when people talk about blockchain, they're like, oh, you know, we're everyone should be using this seamlessly. Like it should be like people shouldn't be aware of it. But I think when we're talking about privacy and, and a, lot, a lot of these large corporations keeping a lot of our data, I think this is where education needs to come in. And maybe that's going to be a huge focus of the foundation. How do people get people more prepared and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a huge part. If you actually look at, we have some press releases around, like, our board of advisors, our board members, but there's a lot of people that were early privacy activists that are involved in, 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 our, um, in our board, in our community, and I think it's, like, it's key. It's, it's really, like, the, the reason why people believed in blockchain early on, the earliest adopters are people who are huge privacy nerds, and um, I hope that trend continues. I know, like, right now, uh, blockchain and crypto is having a moment where, like, we've seen the recent Coinbase IPO, and they quite, I was re- listening to another podcast, and it was like double the users. You know, they had doubled the users since last year, and I have friends who's, who know nothing about crypto that have Coinbase accounts, right? So you're seeing a lot more people trying to understand crypto, trying to get into the trend, but don't fully understand what's under the hood when it comes to what is blockchain, um, what is, what is, how do things actually work? And I think it's so important to to know both, to know like why you're messing coins and when coins are just like, you know, stocks and people want to make a profit in a quick buck. But like how Ethereum works, I think a lot of my friends in San Francisco were early fans of Ethereum because they truly understood how the technology worked and they believed in that same promise. So... Yeah, I think it's always that, you know, people, more people are going to be more educated and have more options in the future. So I think a lot of our um, listeners, if I, if I may call them so, or I think that's like a good starting point to, to get people to be more aware and more um, interested in educating themselves on the topic. Andrew, you're sitting there. So um, let's talk about um, steer our focus to on like why, why Falcon has been in the news over the past month. <laughs> you're right. So um, I think that um, aside from the, Price significant price movement that Falcon has been performing the past two months. We're 
you've seen from thirty dollars to one hundred fifty, which is quite impressive. Do actually no? I didn't even know that. I don't think you knew that either. One hundred seventy plus. I think right now, last track today was one hundred eighty-three. One hundred eighty-three. I know it's but like it number nine on market cap, right? Right. Hit two thirty. Oh my goodness. Uh, it it looks like um, we're finally hearing a voice from Filecoin as a Filecoin holder. It's it feels much more soothing and I'm much more confident with Clara representing Filecoin now. Um, so there has been quite a lot of Twitter feeds kind of showing videos of moms and pops and uh, kind of um, getting more and more interested in Filecoin. And I think that um, it's, it's a unique kind of audience that we're seeing here. But at the same time, um, so far, I feel like Filecoin, there's something big on coming in Filecoin and maybe Clara just kind of the glimpse of what's about to come. And um, I'm actually quite interested because a lot of NFTs that we hear of today, most of their files and content are actually stored on Filecoin. So just to kind of clarify the misconception here, uh, NFT itself does not store the content. It's actually a certificate of ownership. It does store the metadata of who the author is and what the art itself is about. And, and it points to a file storage link. And that file storage is usually handled on IPFS. And for most of the people out there, um, they really deeply care whether their files are stored on IPFS because it's what we call kind of the decentralized storage space. And um, given that the nature of decentralized R, you definitely need a, a, de a decentralized distributed storage that's here to last for, the, for eternity right? or at least for a significant long period of time. And um, IPFS just continues to play a very big role in NFTs. But I think that not enough people are highlighting about it. And um, um, I would like to kind of take this opportunity and maybe just poke uh, Clara on, um, on how you're seeing content um, storage, the role of Filecoin or IPFS playing in content storage going forward for NFTs. Yeah, I think... I think we're definitely right now um, doing a lot of work thinking about Filecoin and NFTs and making sure we have the best experience working with different partners in this space and marketplaces to allow for Filecoin to be, you know, used in a in an optimal way. I think it's really great because NFTs really created a watershed moment for I think the the crypto community um, at large to say like. It's just brought in a lot of artists and creative talent that I don't think would have been interested in. We talked earlier about, you know, security enthusiasts that were interested in blockchain. It brought a whole nother community to really understand crypto, to really understand um, the security side and also to understand, um, to put a value on art. I mean, I'm a huge, you know, I'm a very creative person. I used to draw a lot of art and sell it at cafes, fun fact about me. And so for me, you're also a bartender, right? You have many talents. <laughs> very, very, very random creative talents. But um, I, I love art. And I, I do think that, you know, a lot of artists, they don't really feel valued. And NFT give a wake up moment to like everywhere from music artists. I telling, um, uh, I, I was mentioning earlier, I have um, at a music startup years ago, and it was, uh, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do is give um, distribution power back to artists. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of what's happening in NFT space is just the beginning over bringing a lot of creatives into the mix. And I, I love that. I think it's great. And anything that we can do to help enable that experience to be easier, to be more equitable, we are we are behind that. So, so I'm wondering if you could give our... Um, listeners who um, some bit of background on the importance of Web3 and like what where it stands now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's been many versions of of the internet. You know, people say Web 1.0, 2.0, Web 3. Some people call it the distributed web, decentralized web. There's been many different names for it. Um, the internet um, in its early stage was really meant to be a place where um, different people can access information. And the web, some people might say like Web 3 is the only distributed web, but the web has always been distributed. As I mentioned earlier, there's been over time a number of companies that have come about that have had monopolies in the web that have made it unequal. So a couple of examples I can give is uh, very simple ones. If you're just using Google, you're searching for content and you don't realize that that content is recommended. There's advertisers. There's so many different forces at play that meet your experience. A lot of people use the web, and the first thing they think is it it's decentralized, that you know everything is equal, but it's not. Um, there's so many incentive layers that make it impossible for entrepreneurs or anyone that wants to build something to fully um, have equal access to users. Um, and so that you know that's where um, Filecoin and data storage becomes so important because at the end of the day, your data is still owned by one company. Um, there's been so many people that have eaten up domain names as an example, right? And um, they've created a monopoly over domain names and broker domain names. So the list goes on and on. Um, and so when we talk about distributed web, we mean that there's not really a single entity that controls um, particular um, services. You know, today in the case of Filecoin, um, all the data is distributed. There's miners that upkeep with uh, with extra storage capacity. They upkeep people's data and they allow for retrieval. But um, that that today um, is not owned by a single company or a single user. Like if, if a site wanted to be uh, taken down, it would be impossible to really take it down. And so... Um, so I think that's that's really the promise, especially when we, when we think about uh, countries where there has been a lot of uh, censorship or government interference uh, in content that may have like human rights reasons. Um, I talked about Myanmar earlier. I, I think that's where IPFS started as a project, an interplanetary file system, where it allowed for um, dis a distributed uh, web and allow for a protocol for allowing for people to to create stuff, to be uploaded to the distributed web. But you might be wondering, like, why would people choose to store stuff in a distributed web? It takes computing power, it takes resources, it takes time to participate. So Filecoin was really created as that incentive layer uh, to incentivize miners with extra storage capacity to allow for space for data storage. Because in the instance of hobbyists, like, sure, you can get one site up. But when you're talking about large amounts of data to do it with the right amount of computing power, you do they need that incentive layer. And so we're, we have a lot of um, miners all around the world that are um, building up a lot of storage capacity on Filecoin um, to allow for, for this to exist. And we're also exploring partnerships with like large and small companies, client holders who, who can um, upload data. So that's a little bit of the promise of Web3. I think we're still a while away and, and there is no kind of end goal. I think the web will continue to evolve, but um, I think decentralization is the only way that we're going to get information equality and 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 to like for me like one of my favorite examples is um, we're, we're actually launching a fellowship with Wikipedia and one of the um, one of the pe things people forget about Wikipedia is they think it's it's this 
you know, it's, it's an example of a system where everyone can participate, can access information, contained information. But most of Wikipedia today is um, Caucasian white men in the Western world that are creating entries that choose to participate. And so when you think about information asymmetry, most of what you see as truth on Wikipedia isn't truth. It's a truth in the eyes of people that are participating. So we're constantly thinking about equality and how to increase um, inequalities um, right now that exist in the web and ways that we can bridge that intentionally uh, where um, historically, you know, people haven't had the voice. And it's it's been really fascinating just thinking in that respect, thinking about partners, thinking about really great organizations, thinking about uh, different people we can work with. Awesome. Um, can you, uh, Andrew, can you elaborate more on the background of Polkadot and then maybe Clara can... Yeah, so what I want to ask Clara the question is the, web, the term Web3 really came about uh, from Gavin Wood, who's really mm-hmm. coined the term. Yeah. And uh, Gavin Wood is, for those who don't know, Gavin was, was the founding CTO of Ethereum. And uh, he was the one who wrote the yellow paper and rebuilt Ethereum from the ground up. And uh, now he's been working at, um, at he's working at uh, um, Parity, and then he started Polkadot. And it's been a polarized project to um, be interoperable across many chains, in, in short, to connect a lot of chains together and to pave the path for the future of multi-chain layer uh, infrastructure as we go forward. So it really brings in a really interesting question. I, I, I know that Juan is really good friends with Gavin and, um, and, and they're really spearheading this Web3 uh, foundational knowledge here. But I'd like to kind of get a glimpse or maybe a idea what's happening with Filecoin and Polkadot going forward with terms of kind of how they go about Web3 and uh, making it more um, making it more accessible for people out there. Yeah, I, I think the Polkadot example is, is fantastic because that's exactly the kind of partnerships we're trying to bridge at the foundation is for a Polkadot to exist today, it would be really, really hard for, you know, for, for the lack of uh, funding, for the lack of infrastructure, without something like a foundation support. And so there's a couple of other um, Web3 crypto foundations that exist that also help fund the movement, not just us. And I think for us, you know, Web3 is an ecosystem. Like, we, we don't force anyone to use Filecoin or force anyone else. You know, people should choose what they think is best for their use case. But I definitely think that, you know, for the roadmap for Polkadot, for a number of other partnerships that we have, it really comes down to not just companies, but also everyday users over time to choose to participate. Because at the end of the day, the success of these projects are twofold. We have to have market demand for people who, who are like, and a lot of what we're focusing on right now is, is developer education, getting a lot of really exciting developers to really care about Web3 and to start building on it, to have the right technical skill set to do it. We can't do anything without right talent. And so um, that's really our focus is making sure that we're, we can attract the best developers in the world who really, truly care about the promise of um, why they developed products in the first place, who care about open source to contribute to all of these projects and to make sure that we're, we're constantly working with each other to allow for each other's success. We will, we will help support each other when someone is failing, right? We'll, we'll be the first at the table um, when it comes to really exciting ideas. So I think, um, I think this is n- not just, you know, our, our mandate, it's everyone's mandate that chooses to participate. The web is a common good for all and everyone has to do their part. And I think, you know, companies, 
it, it's a moral responsibility um, for everyone participating to to remember that there are so many people that maintain the goodness of the web that are out there, and you have to kind of what's your jury duty? You know, you have to do your time, and and that like it takes work. It takes work to maintain everything. So um, it's not just companies. It's not just us funding. It's not us, you know, having partnerships. It's everyone that plays a role. So, um, Andrew, what do you think was like this, the sudden recent um, boom for Filecoin? Or what are your thoughts on that? And do you think this is the early days? Or what are your thoughts well, moving forward? Well, um, I think that um, one of the main, I'd say, catalysts would be DCG's Grayscale. Grayscale, yeah. Grayscale, um, they're saying they're, they're buying Filecoin and they're listing it and um, they're making it available for people to purchase. So that's like a huge play as well. And on top of that, uh, you know, Gemini also listed Filecoin. The Winklevoss brothers, they talk a lot about Filecoin, like a lot. Uh, they're saying like the Filecoin is probably the next big thing after Ethereum. And uh, with Coinbase list, you know, Coinbase talking about, hinting about Filecoin here and there, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of time. It's just like everybody, see, here's the thing though, like uh, when people think about Filecoin, people think about IPFS, right? And IPFS is been the foundational fabric of all distributed storage for everybody in the blockchain space. So um, supporting Filecoin in any in sorts of ways is just like supporting IPFS. And we all want IPFS to last for eternity because all the most important um, D-Web files are all stored on IPFS. So we everybody deep, deep down their heart know that IPFS is the way to go. And it's, it's where we need to continue to support, which also brings into you know, how important IPFS is to the entire ecosystem and how much responsibility the Filecoin. Yeah, and we usually joke around, we'll do a better job of branding moving forward, but if you're using Filecoin, you're using IPFS. You know, it's it's interchangeable, and we really, we truly do believe that. Um, we're, we're all in this together. Um you know, IPFS was really, like, the reason why Filecoin was created was that incentive layer, like I said before. So we're here to stay. I think, like, Juan and everyone else early on, I have worked at a lot of companies, and it's just such a pure intent of their mission to really bring distributed web to everyone. And we carry on that culture at the Filecoin Foundation, even though we're independent of protocol apps. We're a completely separate organization, but we have this independent but uh, really strong culture as a company to make sure that we're doing right by our users, doing right by the community, that we continue to build Web3 every single day in as much velocity as we can. I heard, or at least what I remember, there's like a thousand terabyte of file storage available yeah. on Filecoin right now. That is, that is a lot of storage. Yeah, we've worked a lot you to know, get the right storage capacity. Do, so. you, do you think that Filecoin and one day may compete with AWS head-to-head by chance? You know, I, I can't speak for the future, but I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, with Ethereum and consensus, right, It's it was like really enterprise adoption that, that accelerated them. And I think for us, we're very honest with our current use cases, our technical limitations. I think if we can hire the best, if we can bring the best developers to the table and we can also have the best contributors, we will get there. I think there's still a lot ahead. We're a very new project. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of, there are certain enterprise clients that are interest, very interested. And so we're, we're, we're definitely thinking about it. And we would love to be that alternative. I think a lot of people make that comparison. And I think we'll get there. But I would say it won't be overnight. 
But everyone who's patient, you know, like AWS also didn't happen overnight. It took several years and taking a lot of big bets to to get there. So Cool. So um, let, we're going to wrap up in a few minutes, but um, what are your next plans? I know you're leaving Taiwan soon. So um, what's next? Uh, I've been working U.S. hours in Taiwan. And so my next plans are like normal sleep hours, uh, getting into a healthier diet. Taiwan has such good food. And also at the same time, you know, it's so hard to say no to like incredible, like new boba shops that I discover. Um, so I, I definitely... Um, I'm looking forward back in the States for sleep, for vaccine, for a little bit more normalcy and work hours, but I definitely want to come back to Taiwan and I have plans too. So um, I'm, I'm super excited to see the, the ecosystem, the blockchain community here. That gets me super thrilled because, um, you know, I am, I am American Taiwanese and I spend a lot of time looking at the startup ecosystem in China. And I just feel like Taiwan needs to step up. And I'm just so thrilled to see the community here that I've recently discovered. Everyone who's creating such innovative solutions and also just the incredible technical talent here that really do care. I think Taiwan is, culture-wise, is like perfect for you know part of the crypto and blockchain explosion because there is so much um, mission driven around democracy and access for equality for all. I think you met like 10 blockchain projects in a day. So who should we get on the podcast next? Oh, you know, it depends on the tone. I, I think I met I met a lot of really interesting people. I don't know. It depends. I mean, Alex from MyCoin is great. You, you should definitely ask him about some of the efforts he's doing around environment and crypto. I'm yeah, a, yeah he's, he's here Tuesday. Oh, okay. Fantastic. So um, that would be my first one is I would love he, he's doing a lot of really exciting work. Around, we spent a lot of time talking about the environment. I'm a huge hippie. <laughs> so um, I think that might be exciting is like something unexpected to hear from him because I think most people don't realize the efforts he's putting on the environmental side. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it could be interesting to get Audrey Tang on your podcast. I sat down with Audrey earlier this week uh, and she has such a, you know, she's such a, she's such a long-term supporter of, um, open source development and um, open access to everything and transparency. So Audrey would be fantastic too. Awesome, thanks. And um, Andrew, when are we going to hear more about DStation? Um, we're slowly going to roll it out. Just be patient, and things going to be really exciting. Cool. Well, thank you guys, and um, let's end things here. And hope to have you guys both back on the show sometime soon. <laughs>